0: All right, welcome back to the listener's commentary on the letter of 2 Peter. In this recording, we're going to be looking at 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1-10. through 10. And in context, Peter has just finished calling out the false teachers with really a powerful and descriptive rebuke. And that rebuke included an implicit appeal to the original readers to be on guard against those false teachers and to make sure they remain true to the faith. Well, here in chapter 3, Peter restates his purpose and goal for writing to them. And then he takes up another topic that there was some confusion about, likely because the false teachers were twisting things regarding to that topic as well. So let's jump in and look at what Peter has to say. Here's the way chapter 3 begins. Beloved, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. And notice that the second letter, and we're not sure exactly if there's more letters than what we have, but presumably the second letter means First Peter is the first letter. And this is that phrase that makes us say it's probably the same audience that Peter was writing to in this letter that he wrote to in First Peter, since he says this is the second letter that he's writing to them. And so likely the same group of churches scattered throughout modern day Turkey. So This is now the second letter I'm writing to you, in which I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder to remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So Peter restates the purpose in writing. Recall that he had said something very similar to this in chapter 1, verse 12, where he stated his purpose for writing. And stating it there in chapter 1 then led him to assure his readers of the reliability of the words of the apostles, chapter 1, 16 through 18, who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, and of the reliability of the Old Testament prophets, chapter 1, 19 through 21. Well, now... He restates that purpose, he says, as a way to stir up their sincere mind by way of reminder. That's his goal. This letter, he sees it as a reminder about the truth that they were taught, a reminder, as he says here, of the words spoken beforehand by the Holy Prophets, presumably in view of chapter 1, meaning the Old Testament prophets that he talked about in chapter 1, 19 through 21, and the words spoken beforehand by the commandment of the Lord and Savior by your apostles. And notice that. Notice how he describes the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is the commandment of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, the apostles don't speak on their own authority. They speak on Jesus' authority. And that's at the heart of what it means to be an apostle. The word apostle means a representative, an ambassador. It was not just like in some generic sense. I mean, it could be, but typically it meant like an official representative of somebody. And in the case of the apostles of Jesus, they are the official ambassadors or representatives of King Jesus. And so when they act and when they speak as his apostles, they are doing so under his authority. And so their teaching is the commandment, of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in chapter 1, those words about reminding them and about the reliability of Peter and the other apostles' eyewitness testimony, about the reliability of the Old Testament prophets, those things were the last things Peter had said before jumping into the warning about and rebuke of the false teachers in chapter 2. So now, coming out of that warning and rebuke, Peter then restates the purpose and the goal of the letter to really establish them in the truth that they have been taught. After restating that goal here in verses 1 and 2, Peter is going to turn his attention to another topic that was seemingly something else the false teachers twisted, and that something else is the second coming of Jesus. And the issue is that they denied that Jesus would come. They denied that there would be a day of judgment, that everything was just gonna keep going as it currently is. That's the topic Peter now takes up here in verse three. So he says, "'Know this first of all, "'that in the last days, "'mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts. And so Peter says that in the last days, they're going to be mockers. They're going to be scoffers. They're going to come and they're going to be driven by their own lusts or their own desires. That's what's really going to drive them. And notice he says that's going to happen in the last days. Well, that phrase, last days, could be confusing to us. We can think that means like the very final few days, the last months or weeks or maybe even years right before Jesus returns. But that phrase last days actually is bigger and broader than that. It refers to Peter's own day. He's really giving them a warning about their day, their time period, something he wants them to know for their time. And what he wants them to know is that in the last days mockers will come. Peter's own day is the last days. In fact, In Acts chapter 2, Peter himself quoted the Old Testament prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, about the last days. And Peter said there in Acts 2 that it was being fulfilled on that day, which was 30 years ago from when he writes this letter. And Hebrews chapter 1 refers to these last days in which God has sent and spoken to us by his son. In other words, the last days began on Pentecost and they continue right up until Jesus returns. We're living in the last days right now from Pentecost till Jesus' return of the last days. And the reason they could use that phrase that way is because think in terms of more like stages. This is like the last stage before the eternal state, the last stage before the renewal of all things. That's where we're at. And so, in the last days, in this time period we're living in, mockers are going to come with their mocking, following after their own desires, their own lusts. And here, in verse 4, Peter's going to say, here's what the mockers are saying. What are they saying? Well, they're saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue just as they were from the beginning of creation. So they're doubting and challenging the promise of the coming of the Lord, of the final uh, restoration of all things, and the judgment that goes along with it. Notice some of the specifics there. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers, well, the fathers means the. patriarchs in the Old Testament. So ever since the patriarchs fell asleep, everything continues just as they were from the beginning of creation. In other words, everything just has gone along smoothly since God first created the world. Jesus hasn't come yet, so you might as well, you know, just give up expecting him to come too, right? Like their claim is that the world has just continued since along since the beginning, and it's just going to keep on doing the same thing. So don't think there's going to be a final climactic day. Peter's rebuttal is this, uh, you guys have forgotten some facts and look what he says in verse 5 and 6. He says, for when they maintain this, when they say that the world has just gone along smoothly since the beginning, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. What Peter is saying is they've, they've missed some facts. And when he says it escapes their notice, that phrase at the beginning there is, has more the sense of they're willingly ignoring. It's not like they missed it on accident, but that they've ignored some facts. And so uh, it, it, it escapes their notice. They've, they've ignored some important things like... By the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. Like God created the world. That's fact number one, that the world at one point didn't exist. God brought it into existence. That in itself was divine intervention. In fact, says Peter, in fact, says Peter, he did it by his word. And so if he said Jesus is going to return, well, then you can actually trust his word. And fact number two that they've ignored, they've ignored that the world has not just gone smoothly along since the beginning. There was a big flood after all. And so the point of the sentence is clear. God made the world. God has judged the world in the past. Both of these according to his word. So God's in charge and God will do what he said And if he said he'll judge the world someday, and if he said his son will return someday, then it's going to happen someday because you can count on it because God's that powerful and God's that faithful to his word. So verse 7 going on in the next verse emphasizes that by God's word, judgment is coming. It was by God's word that the heavens came into being. It was by God's word that the earth came into being. His word is powerful and trustworthy. And it's by his word that the earth is preserved for judgment. Look at verse 7. He says, but by his word, by that same word through which he created the heavens and the earth in verse 5, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept For the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly people. If God once created and destroyed the world by His word, then His promised judgment will surely come to pass because it's according to His word. And notice what Peter says about that. He says that the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire. That's language that pictures judgment. And judgment that's also like cleansing and renewal, like we're going to send the fire of judgment and it's also going to cleanse the present heavens and the earth. In fact, Peter will go on to describe that in more detail here later in this section. And one other thing that Peter notes here in verse 7 is that judgment will focus on ungodly people, those who don't know God and who don't live for God, they will be destroyed. But the implications, uh, though not stated explicitly in verse 7, stated explicitly elsewhere, is that the godly will be rescued. So then Peter goes on in verse 8 to say, so now you need to pay attention to this. And he's going to begin to describe uh, what's going to happen when Jesus returns, when judgment does come. And he's going to uh, explain why it's taking a while. Look at what he says in verse 8. He says, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. While the false teachers may miss some important facts, here's an important fact he doesn't want the believers to forget or to miss. It's a truth about God. And that is, God tells time differently. For God, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is like a day. This alludes to Psalm 90, verse 4, a psalm that is attributed to Moses. Psalm 90, verse 4 says, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by. Moses actually opens Psalm 90 uh, by mentioning that God is from everlasting. In other words, God is so... like infinite, so eternal that time is different to him. And human life in Psalm 90 is comparatively brief to him. And so this describes the way God views time and the way God works. It's the reason things seem to take so long to us, but to God, they're like no time at all, because a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Then Peter goes on and Verse 9, to draw an implication from this fact about God that he applies then to the coming of the Lord. Verse 9 says, So the Lord's not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so the fact that God tells time differently helps us see that God's not slow. The reason it's taking a while isn't because God is slow or God's untrustworthy, The reason it's taking a while is because God tells time different, and God is patient. Notice, God is patient towards you. So why hasn't the Lord come yet? Because God's patient. Specifically, he's giving uh, more time for people to repent. In fact, perishing here, when it says, not willing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance, well, perishing here refers in context to final judgment, final perishing. God doesn't want that to happen to anybody, and so he's not just being slow, he's being patient, giving people time to repent. Nonetheless, in God's good time, the final day will come. Uh, We are in the last days, the last stage, as we noted above. It's the final stage of God's plan, so all that remains is to wrap things up, and so it will come soon enough. And because of that, Peter says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be discovered. And notice the phrase that begins verse 10, The day of the Lord. That phrase is an Old Testament phrase that refers to the day when God acts. And when God does that, when the day of the Lord comes, it's judgment for God's enemies and it's salvation for God's family. And so the day of the Lord includes both those aspects of God's acting Uh, according to his promises for his purposes. In fact, the Old Testament uses the phrase, the day of the Lord for times when God acted in history to judge the wicked, specifically in the Old Testament, to judge the wicked who were attacking or harming God's people and to rescue his people. But all of those like little days of the Lord that happened in history in the Old Testament, those were all like a signposts pointing forward to a greater ultimate final day of the Lord, a day of the Lord that will culminate when Jesus comes. That's the ultimate final day of the Lord. And so that's the day of the Lord Peter has in mind here in verse 10. Peter says that the day of the Lord, that final day, will come, notice, like a thief. Jesus used the same imagery to emphasize the idea of suddenness and surprise. You can see, for example, Matthew 24, verses 42 through 44, where Jesus uses that. And the point is that thieves don't announce their coming. I will be there at uh, 1125 p.m. on this date. Thieves don't operate that day. They show up unexpectedly. There's surprise and suddenness involved. And as a result, you need to be vigilant. You need to be on guard at all times. And that's the the idea of this thief imagery, both in Jesus' teaching and here in 2 Peter 3, verse 10. That you need to be ready at all times because the day of the Lord will come uh, unexpectedly. As a surprise, it's not going to be announced ahead of time on a specific day, so be ready always. And notice what Peter says will happen on that day. He lists off some things. The heavens will pass away with a roar. By the heavens here, Peter means the sky and the place where the stars are. This word, the heavens, refers to a variety of things. It could refer to God's realm, God's space, heaven. Or it refers to what we would call the sky and the universe, right? The sky and that place where the stars are. That's what it means here. And since Peter mentioned this judgment involving fire, we, we could imagine the maybe that roar as a rushing sound of fire, perhaps. And he says that they will pass away or they will disappear. In fact, Isaiah 34 verse 4 pictures the sky being rolled up like a scroll. And John, in the book of Revelation, picks up this picture of the sky being rolled up like a scroll in Revelation chapter 6, 14. Peter going to go on to say that there will be a new heavens, and a new earth, right? So this is judgment on and a removal of or a cleansing of the present heavens. It's not like we're going to get rid of the sky and the universe and the stars and all that forever. That's not the point of this. The point is, is that uh, there's going to be a new heavens someday. All right. So that's one thing that will happen on the stage. The heavens will pass away with a roar. The second thing he mentions is that the elements will be destroyed with intense heat. Notice the fire metaphor again, like that fire produces that heat. And the word elements most likely refers to, in this context, the basic material of which the universe is made. In post-New Testament times, this word stoikia, elements, came to refer to spiritual beings. And so some scholars think that some New Testament passages, the word means that. But here, the most obvious reading is that the, we're talking about the elements of the universe. We're, we're talking about the things that the, the universe and the earth is made up of. And so it seems like that's probably the basic understanding of it here. That was kind of the one of the major ways it was used was just for the material elements of uh, the earth and the universe. And so we're talking here about the dissolution of the material universe. In fact, notice that this phrase actually is in between the the destruction of or the removal of the heavens and the earth. And so it seems like that's what we're focused on here is the dissolution of the material universe. And then the third thing he mentions here is the earth and its works will be discovered. There's actually some question as to the original reading here. There's some variance in the manuscript on that last word discovered. Some manuscripts have a word that uh, is often translated burned up. And, And so some translations, you might find that word. They've opted for that variation. But the more likely original reading, because it has the better manuscript support, is the word translated discovered here, um, which is the idea of like being laid bare or being found out, and hence in this translation that I'm reading from, being discovered. The idea is that the earth and the works done on earth our works, our human works, the things that have gone on on earth, in other words, the earth and the works done on it will be disclosed, will be laid bare before the judge of all the earth. And the implication is that on the day of the Lord, all of the deeds done on earth will be brought to light. And God, therefore, can judge all people, all nations, fairly and accurately, because everything is going to be out in the open. So Peter's point is that there's going to come a final day. A final day when the earth, when the universe, when the heavens itself are all going to be Uh, brought to account before God. God is going to judge them with fire. There will be purification and cleansing and renewal of the earth. The earth will be judged. The people and their works will be held accountable for their action. And God's going to take care of all of that. That's Peter's point here in this section. And so before we leave it, let me just offer this reflection. And, And that's this, that there is going to be a day of the Lord. Jesus and his judgment is coming. Uh, If they thought it was taking forever back in Peter's day, well, how much more in ours, right? It's been uh, 2,000 years since Peter wrote these words. And so that means we, who are faithful followers of Jesus, we have to soak in Peter's reminder. We have to absorb it into our consciousness. Uh, God's word brought the world into existence. God's word brought about the judgment of the flood during the days of Noah. And God's word has promised a final day of accountability and reckoning. And God's word is powerful. And God's word is certain and trustworthy, and that means it will come to pass. It will happen like the sudden shock of a thief breaking in in the middle of the night. And so we, who follow Jesus, we need to be ready and on our guard and faithfully serving Jesus, knowing knowing that there will come the ultimate and final day of the Lord. Hey, it's John. Before we leave this recording, I wanted to say a special thank you to all of you who support the Listener's Commentary and the Bible in Life and my entire online ministry. This ministry and the Listener's Commentary in particular is a crowdfunded Bible teaching effort, and it's made possible by... Faithful friends and partners who donate so generously. So thanks a ton for that. And let me just say a special thing uh, about this month. This is the month of April 2022 when I am recording this. And if you sign up for um, a monthly recurring donation to this ministry in in this month of April 2022... Uh, I will give you free access to the Listener's Commentary Study Hub. So if you want more than the audio, if you want uh, charts and articles and background and word studies and all sorts of stuff to help you really dig in and and learn and live the Bible there inside the Study Hub, set up a monthly recurring donation. I will send you a thank you note with a link where you can sign up for the Study Hub for free.